This is the Women Your Mother Warned You About podcast, sponsored by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Director of Coaching Programs at Sales Gravy. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want you to go and check out Sales Gravy University. Sales Gravy University is the place where sales professionals and sales leaders from across the globe go to learn and upscale. And right now, if you're a brand new user and you've never used Sales Gravy University before, you can get your first course for free by using coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgravy.com. And hey, I've got several courses there that you can check out. So I hope to see you there. But let's go ahead and get started with this week's episode. All right, Nia, and delete everything you heard before this. <laughs> uh, hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. This is Gina Marco, Master Sales Trainer at Sales Gravy. And I am Susanna Gray-Jones, Master Coach at Sales Gravy and business owner of Chime Search. Ooh, I feel like we should ring a bell. Yeah, it's got a ring to it, hasn't it? Chime. Because it's, uh, it's a chime. It's time to chime. <laughs> time to chime. That could be your own podcast oh. by yourself. What are we talking about today here at the uh, Women Your Mother Warns You About? Well, today I was driving in the car. We always talk about how driving in the car is our super reflective time, right? And I was thinking about genuinely how I'm on a mission to get people better at sales and change perceptions of sales. And I think the root of the problem is really, really in the fact that there's lack of training. People put people Mm -hmm. in sales roles, they give them targets and they think that they can do it. And as we... or, Or they don't give them targets. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there's that. They just, yeah, have a hammer above their head. and. That, in, uh, sadly, is a lot of people's perceptions of sales because I work in recruitment and the amount of times I say, would you like to do business development? People are like, mm, not really sales, account management. I would like to do account management as if that's not sales and as if that's not easy. So I thought it would be a good idea for us to write down where are people who aren't getting the training making the biggest mistakes in mm. sales? What do you think? Good idea. I, I love it. I like it. I like it. And there's also the there's also the people getting the training who make mistakes because yeah. I've got a I've got an opinion on this yeah. shocker um, <laughs> because we do a lot of training and I'm not saying it's our clients but there are a lot of people out there with attitude uh, they don't have the mindset for it so if you don't have the let's let's start with faux pas number one. Mm, have I you think got any? I, well, I think the, I think a big mistake is mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to have the mindset for training as well as the mindset for selling. So so even if you, you know, we can say they're not getting the training and that's why they're failing. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have the mindset to actually go through the training, you're still going to fail. Mm. So to ask, to ask your question on that, because the the famous question mindset can it be changed in your opinion so let's say I've got a salesperson on my team or I am a salesperson and I have the mindset that 
actually, nobody wants to speak to me, so I'm just going to email all day. Absolutely, I think mindset can be changed. It's Mm got to be intentional. Mm-hmm. You have to have, you have to want it, right? You think about anyone, uh, you and I had a conversation about addiction uh, earlier mm-hmm. today. Let, let's just think about that. Like if you want to change, you will. If you get tired of how things are going, whether it's in business or your personal life, you will take steps to change it when you're like, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to work this way anymore. I think so up to a point. But my my challenge with that would be to that, not that I like to challenge you often. Yes, you <laughs> My challenge would be to that, right? Okay, so I think about this a lot. I love Jaffa cakes. And I'm also... You love what? Jaffa cakes. Do you guys not have Jaffa cakes? What is that? It's like a chocolate cake Jaffa. biscuit thing. Like ja- How do you spell it? It's J-A-F-F-A. Cakes. Look them up. Jaffa. I'll bring you some when I, I bring you some. Jaffa cakes. <laughs> Jaffa, Jaffa cakes. Okay. What are Jaffa cakes? Just think chocolate, right? So snacks. Okay. I'm trying to lose weight. I want to look hot in a swimming course or a bikini on my holiday in six weeks. Whatever happens, my mindset, no matter what, I've explored this. I've researched the psychology of it. I can't change my mindset. If it's there, I will open it and I will eat it. And I will not eat one. I'll eat the whole packet. And genuinely, I've been trying to research about this because I think it links to mindset. And they say, like we say about the fight or flight, the amygdala in the brain, in the days when we were, I don't know, living on a prairie and we would be looking for the food that had sugar in because that would keep us alive, opposed to the sour food that might be a bit sour and poisonous. So uh, what the psychologists say is that actually we're hardwired in our brains to go for things that are calorific. But that's my excuse anyway. <laughs> I can't change my mindset <laughs> on that. And I'm trying. So let's say I'm a salesperson and I've got that mindset of that I'm not a salesperson and I'm in a sales role. How do I change that? You hopefully have a manager who says you are a salesperson or go find another job. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> I, I mean, there are, a lot of sales, there are a lot of people in sales, let's say sales roles, but they're not called sales managers, a sales mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I'm not a salesperson, but but you're selling, but I'm not a salesperson. Mm. Well, I, I, I also am a big believer in what you project, right? Yeah. So um, what you project in onto yourself into the world, you know, you could call it law of attraction, whatever you want to call mm. it. If you if you say it, then it will be right. That, that's like my that. opinion. Like if you say I'm going to achieve this, and I talk about this with my coaching clients, mm. I'm a big believer in like writing down the number I want to hit. Mm. This is what I told you. I was you're like, where are you, right? And then I came in with my dance music on. I sat down. Um, it's been on my, I'm trying to get a better discipline, right? Now there's a difference between mindset and discipline. I'm trying to get better discipline with my projections of mm. my revenue, right? I'm trying to actually do my own forecasting. I'm like, what do I think I'm going to do? Because it actually motivates me to get it, you know, t- to, to prospect more. What do my numbers look like? I have to sit down and do that. And when I write the number down that I want to hit, I always seem to hit it. Mm. I don't know if it's just luck or it's the fact that I spoke it out to the world that this is the number I want to hit. 
Mm. So if you say you're not a salesperson, then you're not going to sell anything. If you say you are a salesperson, then you'll you will sell. Yeah. So it's that inner that inner voice, the visualizations that you're saying, those those mantras of saying the right thing. And I love that system that you just used. Um, and you've got quite a lot of, we were talking about how process driven you are. You've got your systems to kind of get you in that mindset. But do you think it's more than that? Like, you know, you also talk about the being on the flea market with your dad when you're very young and learning how to sell. Do you think there's something in it that's in you that makes a salesperson, that's why your mindset is like that? Or do you think that you have created that mindset for yourself? Difficult question. <laughs> no, I think it's a, I think it's a blend. Right. Mm. It's like it's like anything. Um, is it, you know, is it your environment? Were yes. you born with it? Did you learn it? Right. I, I, there's all kinds of studies on that mm. in general, because I was raised by kind of a hustler type of father mm-hmm. who like the whole mindset was like, do whatever you got to do to put food on the table for your family. That's kind of <laughs> like how my dad was. And that meant, you know, every kind of side hustle there was. So when you're raised in that environment, I think that, you know, that's what I saw. Mm. So then, of course, that became part of my DNA. And that kind of motivated me in everything I did. I wanted to Mm. go to college. My dad said that you can go, but we can't pay for it. You're on your own. I'm like, all right, no problem. I'm just going to go make money. And so I was in the mindset of making money at a very young age Mm. because my father set us up to be in that mindset. So then it just became the way of life. I didn't think twice about it. Yes. He made you work for things early on. It made us work for things, but that didn't make me a great salesperson necessarily. Mm -hmm. That made me a person of hustle. That made me a survivor. Yes. But I would not be the salesperson I am today without training. Mm. Right. I think I think I had a really great foundation um, passed on and and I was shown that. Um, And then throughout the process, I'm like, let me learn this. Let me learn this. Let Mm. me learn this. Right. And then that that's how I got better at it. And then you add on the layer to that of the practice of, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier about for us, the difference between selling coaching and selling training and the difference between smaller deals and bigger deals. And you could put a lot of work in to a small deal Mm. and be like, oh my God, I just, I put so much work into this little deal and I could have put just as much work into a bigger deal. I actually want to do an analysis on it, but, but I will say a bigger deal with more stakeholders takes a lot more time. Mm. And I gotta, I'd love to look at the time I've invested in some of the bigger deals and see how the time actually breaks down. Yeah, that, right? that, that would be telling, I bet. I think, um, I think, I, yeah, I agree with what you're saying about the training thing, the training piece. But I also think about the different influences because I think what a lot of people have, they have years of the same trainer. Like you said something to me last week about my discovery, which changed it completely. Now, this is not new stuff that you told me. I've been told what it did, before. I've been, I've what, did I, what, did I, what did I say to you last week? I don't remember. So I'm, I, I don't know if it's an English thing, but I'm very, on my discovery calls, I've been very polite and not wanting to rush the process, right? Let's and, be really clear. I did not tell her to not be polite. Okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forget what I'm saying sometimes. We are on yeah. air. We are on air. But um, I yeah, how do I put this? In recruitment, you can't rush someone, right? Because someone's making a career change and sometimes the top people, they can take six months to influence 
Whereas when you're selling something like coaching and you've got somebody who needs to make that step up or raise their level to the next step and they're afraid, sometimes they need you to create that now or never kind of, are we going to go with this then? Okay, when are we going to start? You have to give them those closed questions at the end to kind of get them into that call to action. So you've done your discovery straight into the close, but the close has that sense of urgency to it. And that was something that I, was, I, I wasn't doing. It was not something that I haven't been taught to do. It's not something I haven't read about. It's not something I haven't been trained. But you told me at the right time. And I think with a lot of salespeople out there, it might be that the message is not being perceived in the right way because they haven't got the right mentor, the right coach um, there for so them. I think a point in, in a lot of the stuff that I've passed on to you is stuff that Jeb has passed on to me. Yeah. Right. And even sometimes we know we know what to do, but we're not doing it. Yes. And because we're not practicing it enough to be in the habit of it. Yeah. And I've noticed that, too, where you know, Jeb will circle back with me um, on some things where I'm like, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. But I wasn't doing it or I wasn't practicing it or I forgot about it. I think we all can fall into a pattern of complacency. Yes. Um, or, you know, a, a really good phrase he gave me. He goes, you have to be intentional. Yeah. Right? It was I forget what it was. Oh, it was getting it was getting my deck read complete for selling with humor. And, you know, I did fall behind because of, you know, something would always come up that became more pressing, whether it was a client need or prospecting or something like that. And it's like you have to be intentional with it. Right. And it doesn't always work out that way. But if you stay intentional of like, okay, I'm going to get it done this weekend and then that doesn't happen, then you're like, all right, I got to get it done this this following weekend or. Yeah. Again, it's like it's like what I was saying earlier. If I say it, if I say it out, it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm much better at saying I'm going to hit this number and it happening. Um, I still struggle with other things that I want that I try to be intentional with that doesn't happen. So it's like yeah. it's an eating the frog situation. Doesn't that just come down to what you were saying as well about that message, repeating that message to yourself? Because you knew that you yeah. had to be intentional. You knew you had to get it done. But Jeb said it at that right time. And it was probably the repetitive thought that made you do it. And I think in training, and this is why when we're selling training to clients, we always say that management have to be invested in it because they have to keep repeating the message and understanding it in their way and translating it to people. And that's when sales training, in my opinion, is successful when it's not just a one. Well, getting back to that, you and I were on a discovery call this morning together. About 12 hours ago. <laughs> About 12 hours ago, yeah. Um, it's now late for you, but this morning we started out at 6 a.m. my time. And now it's what time? Are you six or five hours? Uh, it's nine. It's nine o'clock in the evening. Okay, so now you're nine o'clock in the evening and I'm four o'clock. <laughs> we were talking to them about, I think they asked us if they should be in the training. And I was like, let's have the, I'm so happy they brought that up because that is something I'm trying to remember in in my selling and in our alignment calls when we do close the deal that we expect you as leaders to be there. Like, yeah. It is. I present it now as a non-negotiable. Yes. Yeah. Because no, it is us looking out for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what's best for them. Um. And I think what's heavy on my been heavy on my mind in the last twenty four hours is um your new your 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 crush that you have your business crush, uh, Mr. Anthony. 
Oh, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I've been I've been reading his book, and um, I mean, I don't even know what he looks like. Um, I mean, I do know what he looks what like. What don't even? No, no, I do, I do, I do know what he looks like. Of course, I do because he's on the Outbound website, and I've seen his headshot. But it was before I'd seen his headshot that I got a, uh, a crush on him based on <laughs> his wisdom, his wisdom. So I have two crushes now. I have I have Jeb. No, I have more than two. <laughs> I have a few business, non-sexual work sales crushes. So yeah, just let you know, non-sexual. Did you say, did you say you were listening to, or you were reading his new, Anthony's news Yes, book? I am. So I'm at the book about being one up or one down. Yes, the yeah, yes, You're exactly. Right, it's all about that, but it's different scenarios. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love but it. I love this concept of one up and one down because... Mm. It really kind of, it's not like I didn't know it, but it, the way he positions it, it really has gotten into my head about being one up to the prospect and the mm-hmm. client, being, being that expert to help bring them up, mm-hmm. right? Because they're one down. And so now this is like always in my head and I'm hearing Anthony's voice because I'm yeah. actually listening to it on Audible. Yes. But that, that is our, that's our responsibility. It is. And do you know what? Now, since we're talking about faux pas, this is another one that I thought of when I was driving in the car, is relationship building. Now, how many salespeople build relationships and it kind of goes too much down. It's hard enough to build relationships, but then they just build the relationships. They're like, oh, hi, how are you? And they forget that actually that prospect has a problem that they need solving. And if if you forget about getting to the point, and I've seen this happen with some salespeople, that they forget about the objective that someone else actually cuts in on them because they were just getting too you pally I, I don't think that they forget about the objective. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you on that. I don't think they forget. <laughs> I think they get too scared to ask for the business. I agree. And, and I, I mean, not that they forget the salesperson that the client can forget that that was their original intention. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. I completely agree. I think they get too well, scared. Well, that, that's it. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Th- I didn't think of it that way. The client, if the client forgets the objective, then that means, going back to like relationship analogies, you're in the friend zone now. Yeah. Right? So the client ended up in the friend zone when maybe initially the client was like hot for you. The client is in the friend zone now because you did not, pull the trigger yeah. as the salesperson to take the relationship to the next level. And now the client sees you in a different light and maybe sees you one down. Yes. And I've seen this happen very much so. Maybe with your shy new salespeople um, who, oh, we get on great. They will use me when when they need someone or they'll use me when they need them. They have the budget. Oh, we get it. We've got such a lush relationship. And they'll be so like on a high about their relationship. And I'll be like, I just spoke to our competitor. They're working with them. And they're like, what? But we have, we get on so well because they went up too far down that route. Um, and yeah. this isn't an obvious faux pas, but it's one that we don't talk about very much because normally we're so focused on trying to get people to build the relationship that we forget that it is in context. And I, I think in line with, with what um, what our good friend is saying in his book, um, you forget to be consultative. And being yeah. that, being one up, and correct me if I'm wrong, is a part of that is about having that relaxed, assertive confidence um, without coming across 
too desperate and trying to sell. It's very much, I'm here to help you solve a problem. It might be that I'm not the right person, but this is why we are a good choice for you based on our discovery. And it's, 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 a, it's an attitude, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a confidence and it, it's something I actually refer to as a swagger. Swagger. Having, having swagger. Um, I'm coaching this, this young salesperson right now. And I just love working with him because he's young and he's got a sponge and I give him different yeah. things to work on and ideas. And, and I said, to him, and he's like, he's just like got this momentum now and he's making things happening and like see his confidence. And I'm like, nice. you got a swagger. And it's so fun be funny because swagger. swagger. Have to get he's, that out. He's like, he could probably be my son, right? And I, uh, the other day I was on with him, teaching him some stuff to do on LinkedIn. And I'm like, all right. So I'm like, you can talk the talk with him. I'm like, listen. And I like literally using my hands and I go, and I go, I got a gangsta move for you. He's like, what? I'm like, this is so gangsta. I'm like, oh my oh God, my if you gosh. can see this on video. And so I I teach him how to do video on LinkedIn. He's like, this is so gangster. Oh my God, this is a game changer. I can't wait. Right. But it, it, it's directing Have we them. got swagger? Have you got swagger? Swagger. Swagger. It's, 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 it's directing them and having that confidence to do it. And Anthony said something interesting in his book. It's so funny. We're talking all about Anthony. Um, he's not even on the show yet, uh, but he is coming soon to the show. <laughs> he he talks something about um, RFPs, right? When there's an RFP for a salesperson to respond to and put put a proposal together. And I hate RFPs. Um, I've always avoided them. I mean, not always. I did them a couple times in my former life and I was like, I'm not doing these anymore. I wish I would have talked to Anthony. <laughs> I'm along the same lines, but he said something like, "Why are you? Why are you doing something that like was from four years ago?" Yeah, I think I know the bit. Right? It's like, right? It's it's guiding them. Like, why? You know, why are you going? Why are you doing things the old way, or why are you doing things the legacy way? Like, why are you doing it? Like, and and. You know, and you hear his dry sense of humor. So if you don't know him, well, at first you're like, um, sweet as super sweet guy and smart with this really dry um, disposition. But a really good point of how do we approach the prospect and the client with such a confidence of like, we know what we're doing. Um, you don't have to know everything about an industry. But I found this interesting too, because I've been talking to you about this when it comes to selling coaching when we get someone who's like, well, I want someone with experience in this industry. And I'm like, you don't need that. That's huh. not, that's not what, then, it's so funny hearing, hearing Anthony's perspective on it, which is similar. He just says it in a different way. I'm like, this is what we sell. If you want to work with us because we're experts in selling in the sales cycle and, and you you need help with closing deals and prospecting, that's what we do. I don't need to know everything about your industry. I'll I'll find that out from working with you. What are you looking for? Are you looking yeah. for someone who is an expert in manufacturing 
Were you looking for someone who's going to help you close more deals? I love that because you, if anyone reaches out to us, it's because we are the sales guys, right? We're the sales expert. Yeah. And do you want to close more deals or do you want to improve your pipeline? You know, there's plenty of people in your industry who can help you with that. But essentially, and by asking that question, it, it helps them work out whether they're a good fit for you as well. So it's not, it's not with the intention of trying to sell to them. And I think this is another faux pas. Ooh, sorry, I was I'm, just going to say that. <laughs> give Gina a chance. Stop hijacking, Susanna. Stop hijacking. But You know that people want to hear me. What were you going to say then? Go on. Well, the faux pas of, <laughs> of, of not looking at this prospect of whether or not they're actually a good fit for you. Sometimes we go after business because we're like, oh, it's business. It's, it's, a, it's a piece of business and they might not actually be a good fit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that can be a faux pas that, you know, I've, I've held on to, to, you know, opportunities way too long. We've all done that. We've closed deals that we shouldn't oh. have done. Oh, yeah. I, I love to learn from those. It's painful, but. Yeah, yeah. But I think also it's learning about the discovery when people go down the discovery route as if they're trying to get them to say what they want them to say. And I think there's an element of we're trying to get information out of them, but it, we shouldn't have any pre-expectation on what that information is, right? Um, and I've seen people do that in discovery where, and I've done it myself, where we've been <laughs> going down the route of, you said it in our last episode, but interrogation, but with preconceived ideas. And it happens when you get to the objections. You know, if someone says something to you that you know the solution for, so they might say something to you along the lines of, well, Gina, to be honest with you, I'm not sure that you can get the confidence into our team um, because they're such a tough bunch. I'm not sure if you can get the confidence so that they start prospecting. And instead of you saying, well, actually, blah, 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 we'll do what Jeb suggests, which is let's disrupt ask, we'll ask more questions. And I think too many people come straight in with solutions the minute there's an objection and boom, all that great discovery is kind of irrelevant because you've just basically told them they're wrong and people don't mm -hmm. like to be told they're wrong. Yeah, Nobody. I agree. Yeah, I agree with them. I'm just stealing Jeb's content now. That's Jeb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think, you know, it's like with anything, we talk about having the frameworks and something I do tell clients that, hey, we have these frameworks, they work. Um, if you have something that works, then by all means, keep doing it, mm -hmm. right? Like that's kind of a alleged disrupt that we would use an objection as well. Like, if you're happy, why change? Oh, yeah. Um, if your framework is working, why would you change it? But, you know, your managers came to us to do this training. So there must be a reason. Let's at least go ahead and try it. And you know what? If it doesn't work, then don't do it. But mm. at least be open to trying it. Mm. And that usually kind of, um, that, you know, it's funny because you talk about that kind of that attitude, you know, how are you going to deal with it? Now we kind of, we got that question this morning, like if you had to deal with this, this type of personality that you're dealing with, I will say that I've had a lot of experience dealing with those tough personalities and I can give very specific examples. So if I can give examples, then there's some kind of credibility that's built from that. 
I, it doesn't phase me when I have someone in the room that is resistant to the training um, or pushes back on me. As a matter of fact, I will, I will create an environment of feel free to push back on me. I'm okay with it. Push back on me because I would rather us have a dialogue about this than you keep it to yourself. Mm -hmm. And then because if they keep it to themselves, their walls are up and I'm never going to penetrate. and I'm never going to get through to that one difficult person. So when I put myself in a vulnerable state and say, I don't, I'm not perfect at everything. So push back. Then all of a sudden their walls drop. They're easier to work with. And then they become open. And People then want you to be vulnerable. People want you to be vulnerable, whether a trainer or a manager. Um, and it makes you more human, especially as a trainer. It's, it builds trust. Look at Bill Clinton, right? When he came and said, hey, guys, I was wrong. Showed vulnerability. He was popular yeah. again. Whereas if he said to everyone, actually, guys, um, yeah, really sorry, but um, I think I was right, then you would know one would like him. Well, vulnerability and humility will go a long way yeah for people right if you're if you're open like that and that's why I try to be open and say maybe I don't have it right and you can push back on me and when I create that space then they don't feel like fighting me right like it goes back to what Jeb does say you cannot you cannot argue someone into being wrong right so I'm not going to argue with you if you think your way is the best way yeah yeah and it, it I completely agree I completely agree. So, you know, you've been in sales a long time now and you've met a lot of salespeople. And if you were to walk into a room of salespeople, what, what do you find is the most common faux pas in the room? We've spoken we spoke about mindset. We've spoken about discovery. Um, we've spoken about objections. Um, I, I, walking into the room, I think the first thing, my gut instinct on that, when you, as you were positioning that, <laughs> visually, visually what I saw immediately was walking into a networking event. When you said walking into a room mm. of salespeople, that's visually what popped in, into my head. So I'm going to go with that because <laughs> I think it, it's in line, right? Walking into, let's just say a networking event, all the salespeople are, are so consumed with thinking about themselves and what they're going to achieve. And it's a giver's game. So if you're in that mindset, um, it's it's hard to be in a place of making other people look good, which is mm-hmm. something I talk about in improv all the time is the number one rule on stage is to focus on making other people look good. Because when you do that, you automatically look good. Mm-hmm. I don't have to work so hard to make myself look good if I focus on making other people look good. I think that's a huge mistake. I did this. This was a couple of years ago. I did this networking event locally um, at, at Costco. Costco has this program. I don't know if they do it everywhere, but in, in our city, they have like a networking event for business people once a month, which I think is brilliant. Do you have, cost, do you have Costco's? Um, I think so. Although what we have as Costco's is like a supermarket, no? It's like a big, gigantic, it's like a Home Depot, but with, food and yeah I've been stuff. to America now remember I, I know your people <laughs> <laughs> so so Costco it's like a it's like a um a bulk membership kind of shopping you know you're buying you're buying a lot of things in bulk there mm. so Costco does this monthly networking event which is smart because they they sell business memberships to their 
what a shopping club. So they said, would you come in host and do something, you know, a little bit of training or a little bit of motivational speaking for the networking group? And I said, sure. And I like to get in front of people locally every now and then, even though I really don't do a ton of business in my town. So I decided I, I, I took an improv exercise and kind of tweaked it and did a tweak of um, speed dating. Nice. And I did a speed networking. Mm-hmm. And I said, OK, this is how we're going to do this. You are going to um, you're going to focus on trying to learn about people. Mm hmm in this speed dating kind of environment and you're, and I'll just keep ringing the bell. And it was like a hundred of them. So I had like a horn or something because it was so loud. I'm like, and you're going to keep switching out. And the focus is to spend more time listening than talking. So let your partner talk. I'm going to ring a bell. Then you get to talk. So your, your partner talks, talks, talks. I do this. I do this actually as an exercise um, in a lot of my improv based trainings. Nice. And then you switch. The other person talks. And the goal is to learn as much about that person in a two-minute scenario. Um, it's really fascinating. And you're not allowed to ask questions. You're not allowed to cut in. You're, all you can do is nod your head so that, they, that you're showing that you're not legit. And the goal is to learn as much as you can and to have like four or five really good conversations. Just keep switching it out. So we start that process. Sure enough, and I didn't, this is the first time I did it, and I didn't anticipate this. I see all these people shoving their business cards into people's hands. And I'm like, this is the thing that people hate about going to networking events. Hi, huh, can I get your card? Can I get your card? Here's my card. Can I get your card? Right, huh? And I literally stopped the event and I said, okay, everybody stop. No business card exchange allowed. And they looked at me. Like, I just took away oxygen. <laughs> They're like, what? I'm like, why would you say will, that? Yeah. There will be no business card exchange. There is no shoving your card into someone else's hand or asking for a card. And I, I personally don't carry business cards with me to events. No, I don't. I don't. Like, I'm not giving you my card. I'll take your card. <laughs> my card. Such like, a hustle. You gotta, you got to work for it. But the point is, is like they were so stressed out over this. And I was trying to break them of this habit of shoving cards in people's hands or grabbing cards and not being focused on the other person. Mm. Stop worrying so much about yourself. I must say, I've been handed, I have been handed a lot of cards. Like I've literally been handed a lot of cards when I feel like that was the end of the conversation. It was like, here we are. Now you've got my card. Goodbye. Yeah. I guess that's what you're getting at. That's really interesting. I never thought about it like that. Well, it's not just the, the shoving the card in the hand. It's like, do you have a card? Do you have a card? I actually hate that worse. So, I'd rather you shove a card in my hand. But when you start going, can I get your card? Can I get your card? I actually feel like you haven't earned it. And I know what's going to happen with it. So yeah, my amygdala kicks in and is like, oh my God, you're about to put me on a email list and you're going to start calling me. <laughs> and I literally get, no, I get like, it creates an anxiety for me. I'm like, it, it disappoints me. I'm like, all you wanted was my card. I'm surprised we're still giving out cards, to be honest. Now with LinkedIn, you think people can just be like, here's my LinkedIn connected. Nice to meet you. Goodbye. 
Well, I think, I think, you know, we're in a hybrid world now and I think some people are back out doing networking events and they're, they're going back to their old ways and they're doing the card thing. Yes. And I'm looking forward to that at Outbound, at Outbound. <laughs> you are going to be like, where's Susanna gone? Where's Susanna gone? Oh, she's off speaking to probably Anthony again <laughs> or like stalking Jeb somewhere. But no, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Well, those guys will be extremely busy. Have I got time for one more faux pas? Yeah. Awesome. So my biggest thing is, and this I think has been something that I don't know why or how, but it's something that in my personality, whether it's been in dating or whether it's been with anything, I am so persistent. (laughs) I am like literally the most persistent person in the world to the point that I can be too persistent. But I am constantly shocked about people who go into sales and will not follow a sequence and they'll think that one outreach or two outreach, like for example, at the moment, I've got somebody who really wants to do training with us, really wants to do training with us. I know they do. And they've gone a bit quiet because they've got a new sales manager and I could just send them an email, but I won't get a response that way. So I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to call them. I'll get a quick answer and then I'll have a next step, right? And I see salespeople all the time in this situation where someone might actually want to buy from them, but they make the assumption that it will be too much to either pick up the phone or just persist. That doesn't mean just pick up the phone, but persist, like add them to LinkedIn, send a voice note, persist. You'd laugh, Gina. I made a placement last month, made me 15 grand. And I looked up and the amount of messages I had sent them over the last year, you could have got a restraining order against me, literally. (laughs) Did they see it like that? No. Did I see it like that? No, but many salespeople would look at that and think, oh, I can't possibly do that. They'll be tell me to go away. But the point is, is that I didn't keep trying the same thing. I tried a video message. I tried, and we, we, we teach this, but I think it's the common mistake in sales that people assume because they want to assume because they're scared of the rejection. I don't know. Why do you think? Why do you think? Yeah, it goes back to the, the, I think, the training component to it, too. Because I get this question all the time. Well, well, what am I supposed to say when I call again the same thing? I'm like, no, like come up. You like continue. Like I did this one um, yesterday. There's somebody that I have been pursuing from the trade show that we we had a booth at. And um, it's a pretty hot lead. And. So when I was going through my follow-up, the guy who had come to our booth, um, he said, you know what, like I, when I reached out to him after the conference, he says, uh, yeah, I'm really not the person to talk to. And I was like, he's like, but here's who you, sh- you should talk to. And I said, great, can I, can you give me their contact info? Which he would. He's like, here's his LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll play that game. So I went through that process of trying to connect with the next level up stakeholder you know, and it's several attempts. And I had that guy's email address as well because he had been at the trade show. And so I had his email address on the participant list. So I reached out via email. I reached out via phone call. I reached out via LinkedIn. He finally connected with me on LinkedIn. I was like, yes. Then I was able to start sending more messages. And then everything went dark and quiet. And I, I kept reaching out and it was dark. And then finally he's like, hey, Hey, so, sorry, I've been busy. Can you um, can you send me an email so that we could actually schedule a meeting? Yes. Right. After several attempts, 
And then um, I went that route and I said, sure. And I went that route. And um, I actually had started, I didn't do videos, but I was sending him voicemails on LinkedIn. And then I um, reached out via email. I said, hey, here I am. Let's let's get something set up here sometimes. Again, dark, quiet, nothing. And, but I kept, I kept, kept leaving messages. And then yesterday I, I sent him an, another message that said, hey, I'm uh, I'm leaving for vacation tomorrow for two weeks. So it was kind of like, I don't want to say passive aggressive, but it was more like, yeah, I'll try to reach back out to you. And like, that was like kind of my tone of like, I'll try to reach back out to you in a few weeks, like was how I addressed it. Take care, blah, blah, blah. And he responded back like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. This, you know, I'm onboarding all these people and it's really just been taking up a lot of my time. Yes, please. Um, please reach out to me when you get back from vacation. Yes. And and then, I, of course, I went back in and I was like, why don't we go ahead and get something on the calendar now? And did you? So he again, he hasn't responded back. But the point the point is, right, people do things on their time frame, not on your time yes. frame. And so this is why it's so important to keep touching and keep reaching out. Because while you feel like you're 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 excessive, or the words I've heard from salespeople like, "Well, I feel like I'm being aggressive," or "I feel like I'm," it's not polite. I'm like, they're not paying attention to how many times you've reached out. Usually, mm. they'll actually start paying attention when it does get into the twenties and thirties. Yes, you've contacted them. S- yes. See, I've I've always and I, we relate this to dating again. I mean, look at Jeb Blount, right? Okay, we're talking about Jeb again, but. Look at his wife. I think he has he struck gold with his wife. I, I really, I really do. I think she's a beautiful, fabulous lady. And he he saw that back when they were at school. She rejected him about three times, <laughs> and he kept <laughs> going after her. I mean, literally. And I think there's a certain person, type of person who does that because I know so many people who are like, no, I don't want to be desperate. Oh gosh, I don't want to be seen that. And why? I understand it now. I went through probably the first 28 years of my life, like thinking that that's what happens. You can't appear desperate. You've got to play it cool. And in business, in business, you don't play it cool. You get one up, (laughs) you know, you. Well, let's close the circle on this. Yeah. Yeah. Is it desperate? Or is it mindset, right? Just because I'm going to pursue you 20 or 30 times doesn't make me desperate. It's the, it is the mindset of persistent. Yes. Right? So you have to switch the mindset. So if you think you're coming off as desperate, you probably are if you feel that way, because then that, you know, emotional contagion. But if you, if you pursue it in a way of, this is my job to call you a million times, like, or you have got a problem that I genuinely believe I can fix and I'm going to keep trying until you, till you let me find out whether it is yes, no, or maybe. Um, and that's not like you say, and I, I, I totally get you're articulating it so much better than me, that essentially it's persistence, not desperation. Yeah, change, change the mindset. Yeah. Change the mindset on it. It starts there. I love that. I know there's so much more to talk about on faux pas. But we do come up wanna... with such nuggets together. I love this. Oh, I know. Um, I hope so that we remember. <laughs> the, I re- and the, ne- the next time I, I want to talk about, um, you started to talk about this before we started recording, was um, yeah. 
the the importance of the list. This is this is coming up. I just want to leave this last piece, and maybe we can explore this. This is coming up so much. Um, I actually want to talk to Jeb about creating a, mic, a micro course on it. We we might already have it. I have to go look in the library. This is coming up so much in my coaching. Huge, huge problem of not having a list and not having organized lists. Mm-hmm. And this is why prospecting is a problem for a lot of people. So I talk mm-hmm. to a lot of prospects that call us needing help and they want to talk about coaching and, and I identify you know, I did this with someone else today. I've done this with a couple people this week where, you know, they'll say, well, maybe I'll just take one of your classes. And I'm like, I, I think that's great. But the problem you're describing to me um, really requires a strategic plan. And the class is going to help you. But I think you're going to end up disappointed if you don't get really focused on this exact issue, right? The issue is they don't have a list. Like this guy I talked to today, He's new in his 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 company. He hasn't been there very long. He's not having success. He's working off no list. He thought, well, I'm going to try this one vertical, this one industry. He's like, that went nowhere. So that obviously doesn't work. Mm. Uh, I, and I, so one of the questions I asked him, I'm like, so what is your, what's management doing to set you up for success when you started the company? What were the expectations that they set for you? What tools and resources did they give you? I said, let's, okay, so you, he's like, I'm still trying to figure out who the ideal customer is. I'm like, well, that's a problem. So now like, let's go back to who's the target. If you don't know who the target is, what are you going to do? Like you have no, how are you going to create a list without knowing who your target is? And then once you know who that is, then you have to figure out what the problems are and before you pursue them, right? So it kind of all goes back to this list. And I've seen this a lot. Mm. lately where this so this guy today I said um this is what I think you need you need someone to help you put in a plan in place to build your list and then you start prospecting you can't prospect if you don't have the list that's what I think you need and he said you are so right yeah and and then of course we talked about the coaching investment and because so many of our clients pay out of their pocket then he's He's got to get out of his own headspace with it. But I think that's a real big problem that salespeople are not staying on top of their list, putting the, putting together the list, knowing who to target, having the CRM discipline, um, yeah. and having the tools and resources from their company to get their jobs done. Yeah. And so he said to me at the end, can you give me some tips on how to create a list? <laughs> and I was like, well, you could go through fanatical prospecting, but I said, this is very specific to you and your industry. So you're not going to get the exact answers out of the book or out of the course. Um, but this is where it dovetails the coaching so well. And I think what you were doing there, in my opinion, was you were critically listening. You were adding value with your questions. You weren't just banging out the questions. You got the information from the discovery you prescribed him and you challenged him based on his objectives, which came from your critical listening. And that's, that's just, that is a skill. Um, and, and it's, it's and a it's, faux and it's, that people don't do. And it's, it's one-upping. Yes, it is. Anthony would be so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> do we have any funny um, end of show questions? Yeah, we do. We do. We always do. So... 
because we haven't done an English word today, I'm just going to copy your swagger, <laughs> swagger. accent. Um, swagger. But as we, we know. The, we should call the episode Sales Swagger. Yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. I mean, of course we can. It's your show. Um, but. It's out. <laughs> are you, the, show, the title should be, are you swaggerless? <laughs> yeah. Got, got swagger? Should we put it? Yeah, we'll put figure a it poll out. out. Put a poll out. But um, so you've got, to, you've got to choose. Reveal or be quizzed. Reveal or be Reveal quizzed. Or be hmm. Mm-hmm. What does the quiz thing do? Is it just asks a question? <laughs> when, it asks is... a question, a sales-based question. Okay. And it will ha- I, go ahead. It what? Oh, you have to choose both. <laughs> oh, gosh. Last time I did a reveal. You did? Yeah, I did a reveal. So um, let's go with reveal, but you have to actually reveal. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> Yes, it is. Okay, okay. It's a bit inappropriate. <laughs> so maybe I changed my mind. Uh, nope. Have nope. you ever fallen in love with somebody that you have been selling to? Oh, you have to go first. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, great. I have to go first. <laughs> That's uh, not fair. I thought this was like hijack Gina, not Susanna. Hey. Um, so, okay, go on then. Um, oh, my gosh. I really knocked you down. I love it. You did. You did. So good. Well, there was a client, actually. <laughs> there was oh, a client. Um, I, I wouldn't say it was love, but it was kind of, yeah, it was kind of like it helped me sell to him because I, I just thought he was very great at his job and um, just really liked him as a person maybe had a bit of a crush on him <laughs> and I think he probably knew that as well and I was very young I think I was in my early 20s and he must have been a bit older like in his 40s and, you know he was very professional I was very professional as always very proper but I really liked him to the point that I think there was like a client event and I was just texting him really you know I'm an enthusiastic texter but I think I was like probably a bit too enthusiastic and Anyway, we, we, we still did business, but on a professional level. Um, and mm-hmm. it was, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was just, yeah, he was nice. He was nice. There we are. You've got to have to me. That's just not fair. You have to answer oh, now. You have to answer. Oh my gosh, I love Shash. I love that. You got like, you got flustered. This is awesome. I know, I know. And the fake tan is not shining through, not with these mm-hmm. lights in my studio. Come on then. Mm-hmm. Come on then. Okay. Come on, come on. Um, no, no, no. I have not. Um, I may have had a crush here and there, you know, where there was a flirtation maybe where we might flirt. But I've always had a pretty hard line on like not crossing the line. So I will say I have been in um, a I was in a, a scenario, a situation that was super uncomfortable before I joined Sales Gravy when I was still running my own company where a client got inappropriate. Oh, and, they fell in love with you. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a very uncomfortable situation. And, you know, when you own a company or you're the salesperson and you're trying to close a deal, 
that was just really hard, especially as a woman, too. Um, the advances he was making on me. And now, meanwhile, they were already a client. And while he was an important part of the decision making, right, like the CEO had the ultimate decision making and they had hired me before. So like they were an existing client and it was continuing to nurture the relationship. But he was trying to nurture something else. And it was, um, yeah, it was not. I don't work with them anymore. Oh, dear. Well, there are some stories like that. But I do also yeah. think that you're deflecting from something where you might have fallen in love with. I don't know. I don't know. I reckon there's some dirt there that you are not sharing, but we can get more. No. These no, new- I, no. What, what I'm being, what I can say, like, if you want to call it dirt, is that this is the fine line, right? Yeah. The fine line is I, I'm a very playful person. I'm very um, like a kid. Um I can be I can be very flirtatious. Um, not not anymore. <laughs> uh, after that scenario, that was an aha for me to have major boundaries. That mm. I think it's an innocent thing that we're just having fun, and it's taken the wrong way. Mm. So that was a learning lesson for me to never ever ever cross out, even give a hint. Right. Because they perceive it a different way. So after that experience, I I checked myself on being careful on how I present myself. Yeah. And I think one thing my grandparents said to me when I went to London as a 20 year old, they were like, be careful. Right. Because you when sometimes when you are naive and you're enthusiastic, it can come across to other people like flirting, especially in the big, bad business world. Yeah. And, and I think I, I think in that situation. I I think I was naive and I was, you know, this is not that many years ago because I just did not expect someone to cross, try to cross the line mm. because I'm like, are you kidding me? And, and, and actually, um, you know, try to come on to me, make a pass, make a move on me in front of some of his employees. Mm. And I was literally like, um... Uh, that you're like, what are you doing? You're, he's like, so, which was even creepier because I'm like, okay, this is now borderline mm. toxic. Mm. So I think uh, I I do speak to quite a lot of women who feel that they are sort of almost sexualized in the work environment for you know, being in business as if you don't belong here. That they are sometimes seen differently, but that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. And That's it, another topic. And it for can happen time. both ways, I think. I, yeah. You know, yeah. We were, I love the vibe today. We went to places which we'd never been before. <laughs> I know. This is fantastic. Fun, another fun episode. I love these rogue episodes. We have had um, listeners who have been asking for more of Gina <laughs> and Susanna um, without guests. Nothing. We love our guests, uh, but people want to hear more of our ideas. So, We are trying to bring you more of those episodes. So thank you for listening to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. Hey, go check out Sales Gravy University. All you got to do is go to salesgravy.university. Check out all of our courses, both live and self-paced. There are so many there to take you to the next level. Just like what Suzanne and I have been talking about today, 
of getting that training and getting those resources so that you're not making the faux pas we talked about today. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer. I'm out of here. Say goodnight, Susanna. And I'm Susanna Gray Jones, Master Sales Coach at Sales Gravy, and I am going to bed. Good night, Susanna. Night, Gina. You practice that swagger, girl. You go. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs>